A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herleman, sponsored by Starburst. Starburst is a single platform to help you activate all your data, no matter where it lives. Check out our new Data Products for Dummies ebook to learn more about how your organization can utilize data products. To download your free copy, head on over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Adapting product management to data, finding the customer pain and the value. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Amritha Arun Babu Mysore, who's a manager of technical product management and machine learning at Amazon. To be very clear, though, she was only representing her own views on the episode. So in this episode, we used the phrase data product management to mean product management around data rather than the specific of product management for data products. So it can apply to data products, but also something like an ML model or a pipeline, which I'll call data elements when I'm I'm talking about it in this summary. So here are some key takeaways or thoughts from Amritha's point of view. Number one, quote, as a product manager, it's just part of the job that you have to work backwards from customer pain points. If you aren't building to a customer pain, if you don't have a customer, is what you're building even a product? Number two, always focus on who you are building a product for, why, and what is the impact. We just keep coming back to this. This is the key of product management, and it doesn't change simply because we're doing data. Number three, data product management is different from software product management in a few key ways. In software, you are focused, quote, on solving a particular user problem. But in data, you have the same goal, but there are often more complications, like not owning the source of your data and potentially more related problems to solve across multiple users. So you're not as necessarily focused on a very particular user problem. Number four, in data product management, start from the user journey and the user problem then work back to not only what a solution looks like, but also what data you need. What are the sources? And then do they even exist yet? Number five, product management is about delivering business value. Data product management is no different. Always come back to the business value from addressing the user problem. There isn't a business value from addressing that problem. Why are you trying to address that problem? Number six, Even your data cleaning methodology can impact your data. Make sure consumers that do care about that, you know, usually data scientists, are aware of the decisions you've made and maybe bring them in as early as possible to help you make the decisions that will work for them and work kind of for all so they aren't stuck with a cleaning methodology that they're not okay with. Number seven, potentially controversial, try not to over-customize your solutions, but oftentimes you will still need to really consider the very specific needs of your consumers or your main consumer. Build for reuse, but also build where your consumers are actually having their needs met. 
a mediocre solution for all is usually worse than a few specialized solutions. Number eight, prioritization is crucial in product management. This just keeps coming up over and over in any conversation I have around product management. But that, that applies to features within the products, but also the products themselves. There are many potential use cases that won't be met because there isn't enough value. That's the name of the game, return on investment. It's not about capturing all value possible, about making strategic bets to capture as much value on what limited resources you have. We don't have unlimited resources. Number nine, communication and building relationships and trust are foundational in product management. It's an art as much as a science. If you can't have tough conversations and get alignment, it is far harder to build a product that actually will meet customers' needs. Number 10, relatedly, establish regular communication with your customers. You shouldn't only be talking to them when things go wrong. Stay on top of what is driving value for them and look to augment your product proactively, not only reactively. Number 11, product management requires patience as much as diligence. Sometimes your data product or your data element violates its SLAs, but it was just an outlier, a one-off. Don't look to overreact and jump to changing things. But you obviously need to have serious conversations if your data elements aren't meeting expectations over a more extended period of time. Number 12, if you aren't sure what products you should create in a new area, talk to people and find the points of frictions. What are the pain points and is there enough value in addressing them to justify doing the work? Again, this is just kind of a key of product management, but far too often people say, I have pain, and we data people try and jump to solving that pain instead of saying, should we actually do that? Number 13, it's crucial to deeply converse with potential users of a data product or data element to assess if it's really going to be worth the effort. There is always a chance you build something that isn't used or isn't valuable, but through deep investigation and ideation with potential customers, you can avoid that far more often. Really ask the tough questions of, is this actually a value to do? Number 14, when you are building something, even before it hits GA or general availability, get validation. You can save yourself a ton of effort and rework as you find a better solution sooner. You don't go farther down the path and have to re retrace. Number 15, product management is about collaborating to drive towards value. You are there to prioritize and coordinate. You don't have to know everything, but your job is to uncover as much understanding as possible to maximize your value creation and minimize wasted work, right? The product manager doesn't have to know everything, but the job is to figure out <laughs> where are the points that, that you really need to focus. Number 16, Always ask what value building something for your customer will drive. But also ask what happens if we don't build it. What is the cost of not acting? Finally, number 17, the only constant is change, especially in data. Leverage a, quote, loosely dependent architecture. That way you'll be able to adapt to change and be open and honest with customers that things will change. Emphasize you'll work with them to adapt to those changes, but they have to understand change is always a coming. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay, very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Amritha here, who Amritha Arum Babu Mysore, who is a product leader. To be clear, she's only gonna be representing her own views here, but um, we're gonna be talking a lot about product management within the data space. So we're gonna be talking somewhat about data product management, but mostly about product management around data 
and thinking about how we can apply that. And then we'll kind of do some of the stuff as to how that can apply more into data mesh and data product management. But just in general, product management in data is even uh, a relatively new uh, kind of discipline. And so what can we learn? What can we extend that into data mesh? But I think it's also just a very, very useful, interesting topic. Um, we're going to talk a lot about how do we even just have good communication around data and needs, right? When is it time to actually have a new conversation? When is it time to reassess different things? Is there a, a rule of thumb as to this has deteriorated to X percent to, to really spark that we need to have another conversation? Um, how do you identify the problem spaces to build data products and or models and how AI and ML are kind of stuck between the upstream of you don't control the sources and you don't really own a lot of the downstream where people are consuming your ML models and things like that. And how to measure when a model isn't working anymore and how to think about retrain versus shutting down and how we'll, we'll extend that a little bit to thinking about data products and how when we think about this isn't doing what it should be anymore, I need to evolve. So we're going to be doing some uh, of concrete things of, of her background, but we're also going to be uh, doing a little bit of, of thinking in the open space as to how are we, how could we apply this to other areas as well? So I'm very, very excited about that episode or about this uh, content and, and these questions. So, but before we jump into that, if you don't mind, could you give people a bit of a uh, background on yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Perfect. Uh, thanks, Kurt. Um, hi, I'm Amrita. I'm a product manager at Amazon. Um, I have worked at various uh, big tech companies as well as um, startups. Uh, throughout my career, I have built uh, products in supply chain as well as um, other domains. Um, yeah, happy to talk today more about uh, data product management. Yeah. Well, and let's let's talk about that product management and the differences from what you've seen historically versus when you started to really think about, you know, because you're creating products, you're creating ML models as products, right? Um, and, and so let's talk a little bit about how do you see those as the same or different when we think about software product management? And what where I'm really trying to to get a little bit more color on is I'm struggling when I have conversations with people about what do we take from software product management and what don't we take? What do we have to, what, what don't we have to reinvent because it's a wheel and what do we have to reinvent because it's an engine and we can't use the engine from a wagon because it doesn't have one. Like how, how do we think about, I, I know that's a terrible analogy, but like how do we think about what's useful and what's not from from the product management space of software into data? Yeah, uh, that's a good question because I've been thinking about that myself as I transition from software product management to data and then an ML product management. So what does all this mean and what does this mean for any newcomers as well, right? So in the software product management, you are focusing on solving a particular user problem. Like let's say, for example, if you are managing contracts manually, like let's say vendor contracts, you build an application for um, you know, automating that. That could be building a workflow to record the contracts. It could be building um, a UI to capture the contracts and all the in, you know information about it. Similarly, on the data or machine learning product side, there, there are scenarios where you would um, work on identifying what are the customer problems because that's where the similarity in both the product management is. That is, you're working backwards from customer. You're making sure you identify a problem that is unmet and then you can solve that and tie that to the business objective that you are companies solving for. So that is the similarity, but where it differs is as a data product manager, you have to think more about what are the um, data aspects. Like for example, what are the sources of this data? Well, how was this data generated? What are the 
mechanisms or the schema of the data that it's being stored and how will this data be interpreted and used downstream. Uh, so there are a lot of aspects around data itself that a product manager has to uh, think about before designing a particular solution. So um, yeah, it it is there is similarity, but at the same time, there is enough difference for it for it to exist on its own. Um, that's what I would say. And it's it's interesting because almost the exact same phrasing came up in in a, a recent episode with Ryan Collingwood, where he was talking about we. I think it was Ryan who was saying this, but that there is a specific problem in 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 product management in software, whereas in data. Sometimes you have that specific problems, but often you don't. You're you're trying to represent what is happening, and sometimes that is targeted at a specific problem, but often it's not. It's trying to encapsulate this for users that might be trying to look at multiple different problems. And I think that's that's where it gets even harder and harder to represent. You know, when it's software, it's again. I'm going to try to tackle this exact flow or this exact problem versus data. There's like, there's so many different uses of this data. So I'd love to hear how you think about how do we encapsulate that or how do we find the problems and how do we find a way to, I know I'm asking you this incredibly difficult question, but how, do we, you know, solve, solve data for us. But how do you think about solving a specific problem versus creating something that can address, if not solve, multiple problems or, or kind of creating it in such a way that it isn't so only specifically tied to that one problem because the value, like the, the big, big value in data often comes from multiple use cases, reuse of that data. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a brilliant question. Um, I'm thinking to see if there are a couple of ways I can give you an example for that. Um, but to to answer at a very high level, right? You would to build a particular data product, uh, whether it's a data asset or a data pipeline in itself. There are one the obvious way that is where you are building something from ground up. Uh, let's say your um, building a particular model for fraud detection in those like a financial services company who is building a model for fraud detection, then you would typically work backwards from saying that, okay, what are the kind of transaction data that I would need? Um, what are the kinds of um, sources that I have here? Um, and then you work back, you also map around the user journey to determine like, let's say, again, you need to get a much more specific here to say, let's say, fraudulent with, let's say, credit card transactions. Then you start mapping out the user journey for credit card transactions. And those then you can start understanding what are the data inputs at any given point? What are the data outputs at any given stage? And then based on that, you start building your vision and requirement. Because here, the requirements has to be very specific on as to what are the data uh, type, data uh, attributes, data schema that you're getting at any given stage. And then you, as a product manager, you're also going to work with various stakeholders like data scientists and engineers and uh, ML engineers to understand what are the kinds of models that you need to pick because there are like so many different kinds of uh, model architecture in themselves that can be used in any given scenario. So, um, that's the path that you would follow, uh, which followed by you would uh, build it, test it, and um, deploy it. This is a scenario where you have a clear cut out problem or a clear defined problem. There are scenarios where, let's say, for example, for any reason, your particular model started deteriorating, right? Or you're not getting the right kind of recommendations. Like, for example, you wanted... Um, recommendations on a particular product and you're not getting good recommendations in those scenarios the model itself is not performing well here the problem is not clearly cut out for you as a product manager wherein you are not sure whether it's the model that is um 
of not performing or is it the data sources that have changed or the data that is getting processed has any issues. So here it becomes very uh, tricky where um, product manager would have to dive into the technicalities of it, work, collaborate you know, heavily with the ML engineers and the software engineers uh, to understand what are the uh, inputs and outputs at each and every stage, compare it with what was the original thought when we built this particular pipeline and this particular product. So that's how I would look at this particular scenario. Are, are you typically building a model for a very specific use case, like one user, or are you typically building models that are reusable? Like Because that, that reusability is so challenging. What, uh, the reason why I'm, I'm poking at this so much is uh, I, I was just having this conversation with uh, Ole Ole Sanbagnu of we're really, really struggling in data to build things that are reusable for people that where it wasn't built specifically for that use case. And so I am asking, you know, do you have a solution for one of the hardest challenges in all of data, which, you know, I'm not saying, hey, uh, but I mean, how do we think about creating something that isn't only targeted, so overly targeted, but is still at the level where you don't have then the user having to do 90% of the work, you know, that total cost of ownership falling onto the user. That's not what a product is. That's what maybe a project is. That's when you're, we're thinking of old school, just delivery, dump the data in the bucket and walk away. Like, how do you think about mapping that i mean is it just so much it depends that it's very very difficult to kind of abstract away the patterns to figure out how to make something that's reusable that's um that's a very good question so there are let me put it this way a model is trained on a particular um data set based on the objective that you're trying to achieve for that particular model uh or like even if you take, for example, um, let's say ChatGPT for um, uh, regular conversational that uh, any typical person would could use, those same same ChatGPT can be taken a version of those the GPT LLM can be taken and also used for let's say if you want to analyze financial informations of uh, 10K and 10Q pro, you know, uh, financial uh, reports, you can even augment it to uh, provide you insights on that. So it goes back to what is the LLM trained on? Was it generic enough, like as in um, data about around the world that's available on the internet, uh, those, is it trained on that then you augment it from there where you can fine-tune it you are you can uh, use part of the model to make sure this is the questions that you need to be answered or this is the scenario where you're going to reuse this particular model so that's how i would think of um yeah and i think maybe we can also move this in a little bit into you're the consumer of data too right like how do you Talk with your upstream sources. Are they typically building something that is custom to you? Or are they, you know, um, uh, Jamak with Data Mesh is saying, maybe we don't need feature stores anymore, or maybe we do, but they're actually just data products themselves. But like most of the time, ML uh, engineers, they, they freak out when you start to say, we're going to take away your feature store. And then we go, but we're just going to give you a clean source of data. And they're like, no, 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 I want raw data. And it's like, no, you don't. You want clean, untransformed data. You don't want raw, raw data. You want clean yet untransformed. You want the vegetable as it's been washed. You don't want it with all the dirt on it anyway. You want it that it's been cleaned for you um, and that you you know that it's also not got any like salmonella or anything like that. But like, how do you think about communicating that upstream as as well? Because- you're taking downstream needs and you're kind of, again, in that middle where you go, I need this. And how do you start to have that conversation as well? There are a couple of uh, scenarios that have come up here. One is as a ML engineer, they 
we need to so often times as a product manager when you encounter such situation you also have to think about um where the person is coming from what is their activities what do they do why do they need this data because product management discipline as such is about working with various stakeholders and oftentimes they are all in different domains and that means that different skill set different mindset so it is very critical to come to the table with that to understand where they're coming from so oftentimes uh it is ml engineers thought us that um oh uh i could do this cleaning by myself and might be these are the data sources that i need probably when when i get a clean data i might be missing out certain features whereas if the communication um is a, is more turned around in a way that we are going to reduce cost we are going to reduce time to experiment for you we are going to provide you clean data wherein you as our stakeholder has opportunity to prescribe and be part of the journey where we determine what are the cleaning methodologies that we are going to use what are the pre processes that we are going to use so that you understand what is being taken from the source and how is it uh, transformed or to a clean data but not to an to an extent where it's just feature engineered for you but you have a clean data enough that you can go boom and start feature engineering and increase your uh, velocity to experiment so that is a conversation that is very critical and the more you take folks along the journey the more you easily is it to get by it and and so like when you're since you're the recipient of all of that it is it that your job is communicating what your downstream users needs are or is it more communicating what your needs are i i, I kind of think i i don't know if you've seen office space where but there's the guy where it's like so what is it that you do here and he's like i take the the requirements from the customers and i bring them to the engineers it's like so you do that physically and he's like well my my assistant does it but like sometimes you know product managers feel like they're they're doing that but you know obviously there there is far more value in the job i don't agree with airbnb's uh, <laughs> whole thing of cutting out product management but like how do you think about inserting yourself into the process as to what that downstream person needs and then creating your own um your own tempo your own uh timelines and and like having that communication up and down like how do you how do you think about that and then you know I, once we've talked a little bit about that, I'd love to transition into as well. The like, how do you know when it's right to have a conversation when things haven't deteriorated or aren't doing those things? But like, how do you think about setting that that um, pace and the the what's right and how often are you putting the end consumers of your model and in product into contact with the the sources of your data versus like how should people start to think about that? Because this is this is. In data mesh, the central team has to move further and further away from being in the day to day. You don't have that as the person that's actually creating the ML model, so you are kind of creating um, the the data product in in that standpoint of what we actually think of as a data product in in data mesh. So long, long, long explanation, but I think people are really, really struggling as to who does what and and when and how does that actually flow like do you have any tips as to what works well or maybe some anti-patterns as to what really doesn't <laughs> yeah um see as a product manager it's it's just part of the job um that you have to work backwards from a customer pain point and a customer if you're building a product without a customer it just i'm not even sure what is the product going to solve at that point are we it could uh in, even in that like i'm i'm unable to comprehend that because even in that case if i'm building a product i don't have a customer might be i have an intention the intention is stemming from my own thought and biases about a problem then i'm building a product for my own self so at any point you are still building a product for a given customer so having that clarity of as to who is your customer if you are an infrastructure product manager 
your customers are all the data scientists, all the uh, software engineers, all the teams who are dependent on you to build their models on your infrastructure. So similarly, if you are a product manager who's working specifically on building a particular model, then you need to collaborate very closely with an infrastructure PM. You need to closely collaborate with an application PM if the model is eventually integrated into an application and you collaborate with all the other stakeholders. So the point here is that at any given point, you have to be cognizant of who are you building this for, why, and what that is the primary customer. And the secondary is like, who else, if I build this, what are the impact it will have on my secondary customers or other um, downstream or interacting applications? So making sure and being cognizant of that uh, will help you build a comprehensive product and make sure that you enrich the product and keep everyone in the loop. Yeah, I think that's a couple of points in there that are really important are, at least this is what I'm seeing uh, that's driving success in data mesh. So there's this concept in data mesh of creating data for use cases that you don't know exist just yet. And so some of that is just like, eh, I don't have anybody asking for this specific column, but I am going to put that in. And that's not that complex, but like trying to model for somebody in the future. But exactly as you said, I, I think what you were talking about of, you have an initial customer, but you can have multiple customers of the same model. And maybe there might even be some small tweaks between the two or you have that that type of thing. But when you first are building something, you must have someone specific in mind because you have to know what are the challenges. Because we're seeing this problem where people are telling lines of business, you know, the domains, share your data. And then they share the data and it's not used nearly as much as, as, as they expect. And it's kind of that data field of dreams of if you build it, value will come. If you build it, users will come. And we're seeing that there's a much bigger gap between what users will come and, and use versus just the data exists. And I don't know if that's because we don't know how to model that data well, if it's because consumers don't know how to come and actually do that, or if it's just... No matter what, data just needs to be sculpted far more than people think to actually make it usable. So if they're expecting to just be able to consume as is, you're never going to be able to produce that in such a way. I, I don't know the answer, but it's something I just keep seeing and I'm, I keep poking at people to, to try and find an answer. And honestly, nobody's got a great answer because the answer that I keep getting is in the real world, it's not happening. So... Nobody's got a great answer because nobody's figured it out yet. I I I have, I kept thinking the same. I don't have an exact answer for you because I'm myself figuring out, but I do have a couple of uh, hypotheses that I've uh, thought for myself. One is in the business world, like you absolutely said, I couldn't agree more, is the data is not in a readily usable format. If it's like, let's say you have unstructured data, a lot of emails that you need to understand or translate or uh, extract data from, uh, not having easily uh, usable data is a very critical factor uh, because then it slows down your experimentation uh, timeline. So that is where a lot of people get stuck into that experimentation cycle and they never move to saying that, oh, I finished experimenting or it's sort of like delayed cognitive um, experience, right? Like saying that, oh, I, I, I can just jump in and do something. That that doesn't exist. Uh, so that's one. The second is, I know as a business, we are always focused on high impact, high value uh, initiatives. So the tail end always gets the last priority. There could be scenarios or there are a lot of value even with the tail end of the products are the problems. So that those are the, those, there are so many tail end of the problems that you, most of them are not getting solved or most of them are not getting enough uh, value. So with that, you might see a lot of data unused uh, for the tail end. That's what I think. It's that return on investment versus return. And the investment 
isn't worth the return. The juice isn't worth the squeeze because it's just, yeah, no, I, I, I'm seeing the same thing. So I, I wanted to, to kind of transition this uh, into what we had talked about in the pre-call of like when you as a product manager, either upstream or downstream, something has deteriorated to a point that it's time to have a conversation. How do you think about that? When to think about, you know, because, okay, our conversion rate from this model, um, you know, was 7.5%. Well, it's now 7.4%. Okay, that's not that big of a deal. Next month, okay, it's 7.3%. Okay, three months later, it's 6.5%. Like, when do you think about having that conversation because it's it's just it's a slippery slope it's just like a relationship right it, things can deteriorate in a relationship but that it's um it's over time and it's not as if there's usually i mean sometimes there is a sudden breaking point but it's it's more as the the straw that broke the camel's back rather than you know it's the first straw is you know a steel beam so um, I remember at the starting of the uh, podcast as well, you had another question of like uh, some something similar to this where how would we have this conversation, whether in terms of like as of uh, a metrics, if it's giving you enough insights or not, or you need to move from one metrics to another, or similarly now like to your current question of when do you know that this particular model uh, needs some attention, either attention in the form of retraining or attention in the form of this is not working for us, we need to shut this down. So these conversations or any such conversations, whether it's about alignment, where alignment comes into picture with a broad set of stakeholders is quite tricky. And as a product manager, you're ex- uh, you, you should have this as an art and as well as a science to do this. An art form comes in the form of like building the trust with the stakeholders that you work with and the uh, also be intentional about what you're doing and uh, consciously trying to uh, address your own biases. You know, when you bring that sort of an intention to the table, you sort of build the trust and take people along the journey. So that's the art form of it. The science form of it is to think like, what what was the problem we started solving with this particular model or with this particular application that we built and the metrics we started uh, analyzing and work backwards from there to say that to make sure that this is the problem that we are solving, uh, again, going back to, let's say, your fraud detection model to say that, okay, it needs to detect fraud. Let's say the precision of the model were expected and when you release the model, the precision and the recall metrics of the model was about 80 plus 80% and above, which is okay if you are uh, decent enough, but it could be better. But then you said, as it, uh, you know, as you trade with more data, it only just started deteriorating. Then you really need to go back and look into because it beats your threshold. Uh, because 80% was your threshold and you released it, 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 it's come down to, let's say, 70% or 60%. Then it's not performing as you expect. It's not detecting the number of frauds that you expected it to detect. Then there are a couple of things that you can do at this point is look into the data to say that what is the incoming data that the model is getting exposed to? Is there a drift in the model uh, you know, behavior itself is the, the change in the model data that it is getting to, or is the model overfitted based on the data that it has, uh, you know, learned over time? And what are 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 we unable to uh, scale any other any other infrastructure issues, or do we uh, need to, um, you know, feature engineer? There are some features that we are missing. So there are a lot of ways that you can think of. Uh, retraining is just one of them to think like what are the things that we can do why is it failing so identifying that root cause is a very critical factor because that identification of the root cause will help you determine how much cost you need you you will incur to go fix this model is it worth fixing this model and perform those particular trade-offs and determine are you going to go through the retrain go through the re um 
you know, updating this particular model or are you going to just shut this down and go back to building something? Um, so those are some of the decisions that you would have to go through as a product manager using data and using uh, your uh, relationship and collaboration with your other stakeholders. And, and how do you how do you think about when you you know that you have to go and have that conversation? You know, like, again, you said 80 percent is your threshold. OK, this thing went from 95 percent to now it's at 82 percent. And it's deteriorating two, three percent a week. It's it's there's something going wrong. Do you head that off at the past? You wait until it has violated, or do you, like how do you think about? And, and I know it's 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 very difficult from a hypothetical standpoint, but like one of the things that I see a lot, the reason why I'm poking at this so much is we don't know when communication should happen, right? There's, let's say you've got a, a, a data contractor, you've got, you know, monitoring or you've got whatever. When the, it violates X, Y alert should happen. You know, a lot of people <laughs> are struggling with alerting and, and uh, observability and stuff around data. But like when it's conceptually not doing what it should be or something is seeming strange, like how do you think about uh, when should I actually go and have a heart to heart versus as well, like, hey, I'm seeing something, I'm saying something. It hasn't broken yet. It isn't, it isn't wrong. You're still delivering me what you promised you'd deliver me, but there's something weird going on. Like, how do you think about when to know that? Because otherwise you could be having these conversations on a daily basis. Hey, you know, I know our SLA is 80% for the week, but today was 73%. Therefore, we need to have a conversation. Okay, the next day it's now back up to 92%. The next day it's at 79%. Okay, it violated this day, even though your SLA is on a weekly basis. So, like, how do you think about setting that? Is it just, is it gut? Is it that there isn't necessarily a thing? Is it when it starts to feel like it's headed in the wrong direction? Uh, I think it's more data oriented at a uh, some sort of uh, gut, but the gut is is a small percentage, more around working backwards from the data itself, right? Uh, see, you gave a good example of SLA. So even in terms of SLA, you, yes, one, one day your SLA came down to 73%, but there is another day where or consistently your SLA has been above the threshold. Then, the 73% is an outlier. So at some point, you are going to, if the outlier repeats itself in a pattern over, let's say, X months, and you you are curious, you want to make sure you have a ticket open or in a backlog to say that, let's look into this. What's happening? Is there something that we need to uncover? Because this seems to be a repeating pattern, right? Uh Similarly, in the model two, if your threshold for fraud detection or the you know your precision came down from eighty percent to let's say seventy percent, uh, it's it is an alarm bell for immediate reaction. But at the same time, if it goes back to eighty percent, then I would be curious to know. What was the pattern? Why did it drive down? If there's an opportunity that could be our, a feature that we build it, uh, it could be an op uh, opportunity to enhance the model itself. So I don't want to lose those opportunities. So the way I do this is typically have like a weekly review of our metrics to understand what was our down point. Why did we have that? At least have a grasp around like what could be the potential root causes. So we are not like blindsided by something that we are totally unknown for us. Yeah. It sounds like if I'm summing up somewhat of what you're saying is have regular communication established anyway, and then you have crisis communication when it's starting to feel like, but but you should both, It's I mean, it's kind of like with a good relationship. If 
if you're headed towards a, a breakup or anything like that, it shouldn't necessarily be a surprise to both parties in, in most cases. You know, sometimes people are oblivious, but um, but it's that uh, you're you're in the constant enough communication because your value is dependent on that other person, your business delivery of value. And same thing as if you're the producer, you should be wanting to talk with your consumer and say, like, are is this still meeting your needs? Is there something that needs that we need to look into? Or is there additional value delivery opportunity where I could enhance what I'm delivering to you and we both benefit from that value? You know, I know there's needs for incentivization, but like, is that a good way of summing up a lot of what you're saying there? Yeah, uh, very nicely you summed it up because... Having regular communication channels is very critical. Then those regular communication channels can be used for initiating new products, initiating new changes, or you know, uh, keeping everyone in the loop and having driving the transparency. Uh, and that is very key to building that trust and building that transparency, especially in the data product management, because data. Uh, changes has to be communicated for wide audience and the more easily it's accessible through regular channels the higher um, the trust and lesser the impact of any changes well and i think from a producer standpoint it's also you're higher in their top your top of mind right maybe not absolute top but you're higher in their mind i don't know that anybody ever says that (laughs) (laughs) um so I think this transitions well into as well, how how do you think about identifying problem spaces to build data products or, or models? Like, you know, are you waiting for everybody to come to you or are you going out there and finding where could I be adding value? You know, we're going to have a, a panel coming up on data product discovery, um, although by the time this airs, uh, I, I don't know if that panel will already be out or not, but uh, I haven't recorded the panel yet. But um, the idea of of going out there and finding users for your data hasn't really been a thing. It's been I've you know, especially when we've had kind of data teams as responding to tickets, they get requests and you you fulfill them versus you think about product organizations and you think about how that actually works you should be going out there and finding how you can deliver value. So like, how do you actually go out there and identify those? Is it just going in and talking to the people and they'll tell you, or is it you have to do some ideation and ask people, would this be a value? Or like, how have you found what works well? And maybe if you've got any examples of what maybe doesn't work so well, I think that ideation, well, you talked about it earlier as well, just creating something and thinking that other people are going to use it when nobody's told you that they want that, maybe that's one of the anti-patterns, but I'd love to hear kind of what you've learned there. Um, Over the years, a couple of things that um, has worked for me, whenever I'm into a new domain or a new ecosystem, I try to understand what are the fundamentals of that ecosystem or what are the components of that ecosystem. Based on that, I determine okay, what could be the potential products that come in here or what are the potential workflows or the user journeys? Who are the players? Who are the personas? Based on that, I have interacted with the stakeholders who are currently doing that particular job. What I mean by that is, let's take an example of, uh, again, going back to finance, like accounts payable or accounts receivable sort of uh, uh, work, uh, workflows, right? So there, uh, when I was a product manager in that particular domain, I understood that what are the invoices, what are the parameters of the invoice that comes in here, and this has to be approved or reviewed and compared against our contracts, and then based on that, you make a payment. Pretty straightforward uh, workflow. But what are the challenges? What are the issues that... Those are some of the things I can only speculate, and the speculation can needs to be validated, needs to be supported with data. That comes through only when you talk with your stakeholders, when you talk with your uh, 
the folks who are doing the job today to understand what do you face the challenge what are the variations in this invoice that you see what are the kinds of thing because then what happens is you enrich your problem you also enrich your product because this product will then address a wide variety of challenges so it only becomes a better product and your ideation throughout this ideation and the discovery process you learn more about the space organically including the challenges that you yourself not aware of the particular space yeah yeah i've got oh, i mean one one comment there is the the product managers that don't talk to their users i don't understand how they can call themselves product managers but i i, I liked what you were saying there as well of you you kind of come up with some hypotheses right and you go out there and you just say, I'm going to talk to these people. So you're not only waiting for them to come into you. You're you're going out there and saying, is this a problem? But my question there is, historically, when we've asked the question of, would this be useful for you? When it comes to data, everyone goes, yeah, because more data is always going to be slightly more useful versus is the juice worth the squeeze? Is this benefit worth the cost? Like, how do you think about having that conversation and, and having a real like assessment of, should we actually do this? Yes, it might deliver value, but is the return on investment worth it? Not, is there simply a return? I know it's a very difficult question. <laughs> it's a fantastic question. Uh, you put me into thinking mode. Uh, so, yes, there's Having the return is great uh, because you want to build the the satisfaction of building a product and being a good product manager comes in when folks use your product as an option for your particular product, right? But I think well-intended teams, like whether it's your stakeholder, everyone is well-intended because everyone wants good data. They they are trying to figure it out. They might think that yes this data will be useful but it might not be useful it's it is part of the journey that will happen but what are the potential ways that we can reduce that occurrences are thinking out loud as to or mapping out the scenarios as to where would you use this how what are the different flavors of this data that will be useful in a different user journey what are the problems where this data will be handy for you? And having this data easily will help you navigate certain scenarios. Uh, those are some of the very critical understanding or scenario play uh, that brainstorm sessions that you need to have with your data scientists or with your ML engineers uh, so that you take them along the journey, you go through along the journey, and you educate each other to reduce the number of occurrences of building something and that's not useful. And that's during ideation. Other part is as you're building, it's very key to get validation because it could be that you thought of uh, X data attributes in Y format, but might be the data scientist was thinking about it something different. So having being able to validate every now and then to say that, hey, is this what you figured for this particular scenario uh, is very critical. This just so goes along to say you have to collaborate and work as a team uh, rather than just product manager running the show. Yeah, it's it's funny because I started to think a little bit about, I was listening to a podcast and somebody was talking about, um, you know, when they were a kid, they asked their parents for a skateboard and then, you know, they just bugged them and bugged them until their parents got them a skateboard and they played with it for about 20 minutes. And they were like, oh, I can't do the the tricks from Tony Hawk on this. Like, I can't just automatically do that. I wish we had more of that in our life of like, OK, you're telling me you're going to use it. But like, how do we actually find the like it, it just doesn't it doesn't uh, equate. But I think a lot of what you're saying there is going, OK, I know this could be of use show me how it's going to be of use. Like, tell me, tell me what this is going to be. And, oh, and, you know, Alla Hale in her episode uh, way back when, I think episode 122, kept saying, okay, and what would having this unlock for you, right? If it's like, this would be useful for us, okay, how, what would this actually unlock? 
and they don't have a great answer, then it's like, okay, my, my, I'm not seeing the return there. So, um, so I want to give you space to react that. Uh, yeah. One thing I like to do, and this I've learned over time is always asking, so what, 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 if I give you this, so what, what will you do with this? That's like, like you mentioned. The other piece, the way I would like to do it is, uh, is to say that, what if we don't do this? What is the impact of not doing this, right? Map, marrying both together actually helps you bring out a product that truly fits the needs or a data attribute that truly is needed. That's one of the keys that are, that are frameworks that I have used. Well, I think it, it creates a space where you're going to create something that's slimmed down. Right where you don't where you don't have a lot of of cruft, you don't have a lot of stuff that's that's in there that is not necessary because you go well if we don't do this, well then we can't do this one thing. Well, you only talked about that for these you know five aspects of it, and you requested these other twenty aspects. Do we really need these other twenty aspects? And then they start to slim it down more and more. That's that sort of what I've seen. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. Um, so I, I wanted to to kind of as we're we're heading into uh, time, I wanted to wrap up on kind of again this idea of being in, between the upstream and the downstream. This is very relevant for data mesh as well. Of there's going to be data products that are consuming from upstream, and yet there's also you know downstream consumers, but there's also maybe even downstream data products that then have their own consumers, like. How do you build things so that they can evolve? How do you build things so that you're not breaking downstream? You know, sometimes you have to break downstream, right? Oh, this source is no longer exists, right? We were getting this from an external party. This source no longer exists. But like, how do you think about creating things to be able to evolve? And I know it's very, very difficult to do to talk about that in the abstract, but also how do you prepare your consumers? Most people are not used to things when when there's a change in data that they're consuming, it's a breaking change no matter what. So like how do you get them able to be prepared for evolution? Changes are inevitable. There are going to be changes. Uh it's right business practice to anticipate these and make sure when you're architecting or when you're designing your services or your data architecture uh, and your integrations to keep in mind that there will be a scenario where things will change, the potential to break. What this mindset enables you to do is helps you build a modular architecture, a something loosely uh, dependent architecture. In this fashion, you are always... Uh, not, you know, uh, putting your uh, services into a situation where they will break because of uh, upstream changes. Another way to do this is to have the data contracts clearly specify what is the uh, handshake requirement so that based on that, you are very sure that if any changes that you're doing, these are there are X services that are dependent on you. These are the handshake requirements clearly specified, and I need to make sure even if I change this data schema or if I change these uh, the way this uh, data will be cleaned, I need to make sure the output side these are the variables that I'm still generating so that the downstream is not impacted. Uh, so these are some of the architectural ways that you need to. Uh, and design your system. The other uh, communication ways are you need to make sure that you communicate, saying that, hey, here are the changes that we are doing. Here is our design for the changes. Feedbacks are welcome or make it more transparent. So you drive the changes. If there are additional inputs or additional requirements that other teams can share, that will also help change and enhance the systems. Those are also things that you can include. So being able to uh, collaborate and being able to take folks along the journey as you're changing and make it more transparent will help you uh, minimize the impact of any changes. Yeah, it's it's amazing how much of this comes back to communication and and like 
you know, you're talking about having data contracts and so many people are using them only defensively instead of like collaboratively of like, I know that my contract says that I'm going to be able to do this. Well, that has changed. So let's have let's have a conversation. And this is where I also uh, kind of somewhat bully people, but I, I tell everybody that they need to have all of your consumers register as an actual consumer. So when something is changing, you're not a silent consumer. I know that I can go and have a conversation with you and that I can have an actual conversation with you and extract what your needs are because I might be only meeting 70% of the way. And, you know, uh, I've talked to somebody and, and I, to me, it was, it's good. It kind of goes back to one thing that I did with work, but, um, you know, forever ago when I was an intern, but they, the consumer was um, untransforming uh, data back to the raw format and the person that was putting it into the data product, you know, had been transforming it in a certain way. And all they had to do once they actually had the conversation, which they had been doing this work for two months and it was difficult and complex and, and you know, it, it hurt their time to market with actually getting the, the data ready and all that stuff was, oh yeah, we can just drop the, the raw column in, in as, as, you know, another column and boom, okay, it's very simple. And uh, it kind of reminded me of uh, randomly when I was uh, an intern and I wrote up this memo and the person above me rewrote it and then the person above them rewrote it and it looked a heck of a lot like mine did. And then the person above them rewrote it and it looked a lot like the the person that was directly above me who rewrote it. And then the person above them rewrote it and it was two words different from my original so if it had just been, a, you know, like it, it just, but anyway, yeah, I, I love that idea of, I mean, just talk to each other, just please have a conversation and, and have empathy for each other. Yeah, I think that is very key. Uh, I, I keep, I, you know, I kept saying for a product manager, that is very key. I think in today's very uh, interconnected workplace and interconnected world, it is just very key to uh, make sure you have open communication uh, have uh, you know existing lines of communication and understand what is the intent that anyone is coming from and uh, work with empathy. Yeah, well, I, I can't remember exactly what phrase you used earlier, but you were talking about like everybody kind of has and works with good intentions. And if you assume that every once in a while you run across people that don't, but like if you assume good intent uh, from your colleagues and stuff, then you can have conversations that drive towards like, what are you actually trying to achieve? And I think that's a huge part of product management. Yeah. <laughs> so we covered a whole heck of a lot of things. Is there anything we didn't cover that you want to, or, or any way that you'd like to wrap up the episode? No, I think you did a fantastic job of uh, covering it from all the aspects. So thank you so much. Yeah, well, it was it was a very fun uh, chatting with you, and and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Where's the best place to do that? Anything specific you'd like people following up about? Any feedback on what are the other topics that they would like to learn? Uh, that would be great to know. Yeah, and and LinkedIn probably the easiest way to find you. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, sure. Yeah, awesome. Well, we'll drop a link to that in the show notes so people can easily find you. But again, Amrita, thank you so much for spending the time here today. And as well, thank you, everyone out there for listening. Thank you, Scott. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Amrita Arun Babu Mysore, who's a manager of technical product management in machine learning at Amazon. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about, like, going through purchasing and things like that. 
The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.